morning, family. This is nice. I feel so nice and close to you and not way up there. And this is nice. I think we must keep this. This is, I like this very much. How's everybody doing? I feel like I can sit down and we can just have a chat and just, you know, drink a cup of tea together. Real men drink tea, you know, not coffee. So it'll be so nice to see you this morning. I trust everybody's doing really well and experiencing God's grace. And uh, like the guy said, please remember tonight is our Christmas celebration. It's going to be a great time of fun. There's some special treats that will be given to everybody also. So don't miss it. Bring your kids. Uh, we'll be also coming and just having a good time together tonight. Um, just want to share with you just some of our family news a little bit, some of the developments within the life of the church. A, a number of weeks ago, I spoke to you about just our church and some of the work that we're doing and that, that we were basically going into a, a season and a time of restructuring, as we've called it. And uh, to, you know, Jesus spoke about how when you have the new wine, you must have new wineskins. And uh, so we've been working on our wineskin for a period of time in anticipation and trusting the Lord for the new wine that He has for us and how to be a community on a mission, you know, that, that sees God's kingdom come in hearts, homes, and beyond, and, and, and as a staff and leaders within the church, volunteer leaders, elders, everybody, we've been really working together on doing that restructuring, which included some of it, some right-sizing of our staff component and how many staff members do we need and have so that we can be the, the kind of uh, vessel going forward that we need to be. And um, I'm glad to say today that that time is now finished. We've done our restructuring, we've done all our redevelopment and our right-sizing, and um, all those movements have been done, and I'm deeply thankful to this community, particularly our staff that uh, did so well during this time. Part of it was we, we, we put before our staff and we asked them to really pray about their, their season at Hatfield in the employment of Hatfield, whether that season may have perhaps come to an end. And that was a very sacred and holy thing for us, and a number of our staff felt the Lord calling them to, to other places, and most of them will still be part of the church and serve in volunteer capacities and doing some of the work they're doing, but actually as volunteers, but feeling the Lord calling them to go and make a difference in other places. And, and uh, so we, we really pray for them and we bless them in that. But it was really quite an amazing time for us to see God's cl the clarity of God's voice come through for us in, in this time. So um, during this week, we'll actually be, we are right now busy, and you may even, if you go walk around the building, see it, that we are busy moving offices. Everybody in this building is changing offices right now, as we've got new teams that we've worked on next, for next year. We're going to have different structures, different teams. We'll tell you about those early next year. We'll introduce our new teams to you. But uh, that has caused that all of our offices has to change. And, and uh, so during this week, there's um, actually on Thursday the 7th, is big moving day in the church. So if you need something from church, it probably come Friday or Wednesday. But Thursday, if you come, you may be roped in to come and help carry boxes and, and move things around. And the staff is going to have a good time just doing that together. And um, we're we really excited about where we believe God is taking our church and what we feel for just moving forward. I can remember... Uh, a couple of years ago in 2012-13 when we were building the South Church's facilities um, and uh, they, they first began with groundworks and there was a number of months where the heavy equipment came in and lots of ground had to be moved and uh, underground work had to be done and you know pipes had to be put in and electric, electrical works and everything and then they came in at a certain point and they started fixing the ground and compacting it. And, uh, you know, when you're going to build on something, whether it's a building or a road or whatever, they have, they have things that they put into the ground, and then at some point 
they come and compact the ground so that when you put a building on it or road on it, the ground is secure, it doesn't move around so that things crack or anything. And I can remember watching them do this, and uh, at some point it was now done, and, and what you saw was just this ground that was leveled in certain places and compacted and fixed. And uh, I stood there and remember it cost millions just to do that. And I felt, wow, <laughs> so much work that was done, but we haven't got you know, anything to show for it. But when we started building on it, it was so good that those buildings are now secure and the roads are good. And uh, we built roads that could take trucks and everything on it for it because you don't know what the future holds. And so that we don't build small, but build strong for whatever is to come. And it feels to me like that's what we've done over this last while in Hatfield is we have dug deep into some of our, our substructure and we've fixed and we've put good stones and, and good material in place and we've worked hard and we've put good ground and it's cost us to bring the type of ground that you need, which is A-grade ground, and you bring that in, and then we worked hard at putting all of that and compacting it and fixing it so that as we build from here on again, that there would be no cracks in our, in our buildings. And we're excited about where we're going as a church. Hatfield is doing well. Hatfield is on the march. It's on the move. This community is going to see God do amazing things through this community again and moving forward. Amen? Amen. And, and you're part of that with us, and uh, so next year we'll tell you a little bit more about just our structures and how we've changed things, but I think it's now time that we all take a bit of a break. So and my family and I will actually be leaving tomorrow to go away for a couple of weeks on holiday, so I'll be back for the Christmas service on the 25th, where the South Church will also join here, and it will also be with you on the 31st, that morning service, but for the next couple of weeks, um, we'll be hiding in our secret place, but I know many people have figured out where that is, so... If you come by, you're welcome to come and visit us. Just bring biscuits, biltong, you know, those good things. So, uh, but thank you for giving us the opportunity to take a, a bit of a break. Uh, just another testimony to share with you. How many of you remember a couple of weeks we had Malafreak, one of our members, I don't know if Mal's here this morning, but she came and shared her vision with us about collecting Bibles to share with people in our, in our city that needed Bibles. And the, the vision was to collect 500 Bibles and uh, so what we did is we had that quiz night here on a Friday night and asked people to come and have fun and, and pay to be part of the quiz night. And the wonderful thing that happened is through that initiative and people contributing into that, we didn't just get 500 Bibles, we got 600 Bibles that we were collected over that time. So praise the Lord for that. Well done to Mel for her vision and everybody that supported her in that. It was such an amazing thing. And part of that testimony that's developed is that part of those Bibles, 20 Bibles, will actually be taken to Peru by uh, Pastor Luis that will be going and uh, taken to Peru to South African prisoners that are in prisons in Peru. We'll be getting Zulu Bibles and English Bibles and, um, you know, from South Africa that will be. So our prison ministry has now gone international, you know, so... Uh, so isn't that a wonderful testimony? It's so beautiful that, you know, just from you that did that. So praise God for that, and we look forward to many more initiatives like that. Word of thought this morning is I want to continue with our series, Faith to Flourish. And uh, I know last week, Pastor Letzola did a good job of uh, talking through uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. But if, you, if it's okay with you, I want to linger there a little bit longer. We was actually supposed to, I was actually supposed to move on to the next portion of Scripture, but uh, I felt that there's such important things in this portion of Scripture that I want to come round it again and just, you know, 
give it from another perspective so that it really settles for us. And I want to talk about the excellence of holiness or excellence in holiness today. Uh, from those of you that have been here with us, you know that the, the whole book of, um, of Thessalonians is Paul writing to this young community of faith in a trying time of persecution. And uh, many of them are really young believers, a couple of months old in their faith, most of them, almost all of them, and um, how they can stay standing during such difficult times and actually flourish in their faith. So, and part of the deal was how do you live uh, as, a, as a Christian in, this, in the community where you find yourself, not withdrawing from it, not becoming separate from the community, detached from the community, but living in that community so that through you, the gospel can be spread in that community. And that was a, a big part of what Paul was writing to them about and, and, and how do they do that. So a phrase comes to mind if I think of that. How many, I think we've all heard of this phrase when, when people talk as Christians particularly, we, we'll often say, I'm in the world but I'm not of the world. Have you ever heard somebody say that phrase or perhaps you've used that phrase? And that phrase describes in our present state with this world that is a fallen world, it describes our relationship with the world, that I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. And I think that's a, there's a, good, that's a good description. But I am concerned sometimes that if I hear people use it, that I think it's taken on a little bit of a, a meaning that perhaps is not what the Scripture meant when it talks about how we relate to the world. And if you'll allow me, I want to use an illustration this morning to to illustrate to you what I sometimes hear people say or how they treat that statement, I'm in this world, but not of this world. And um, if this morning I, I want to use these footprints to describe the way we walk in this world and how does God want us to walk in this world. In, in Thessalonians, we'll read a little bit later, Paul writes and he says, so that your way, and he talks about your way, the, the way you walk, the way you live in this world. Now, for us as Christians, we live in a world that, that there's two realities for us, heaven and earth. Heaven being the perfect place, the place where God's will is perfectly lived, where life is the way it's supposed to be. And then earth in its current context, which is the fallen state, which is the broken state, a state of death and pain and suffering and hatred and anger, and it's the place that that is being saved and redeemed by God. It's the, the place that God is rescuing, if I can use that word. So if we think about those two realities, if I can, on this side of the stage, just these people look a little friendlier this morning. So this is heaven. <laughs> and this is earth. Hello, Johan and Elector. Nice to see you again. <laughs> I really like this. This is so much better just to be down here. So this is, this is earth. So this is the fallen state. This is the fallen state, and, and this is the heavenly state. So here we have this situation where, uh, where because of sin, Adam and Eve and the whole story, that earth is now fallen and into this state, but, and here we have God in heaven. So God promised that though we have fallen and have, we have become lost, He will come and save us. So at some point, Jesus started a journey. And we're coming up to celebrating Christmas. Tonight we will be celebrating Christmas. And, and the Christmas story is about this journey of Jesus that came from heaven to earth. So he started walking. And uh, he created a way, a path, that began from heaven to earth. So here we can see his, his path that he walked. 
to come here to earth. And so heaven came down to earth, and the Savior came and dwelt among us. Tempted like us in every way, yet without sin, He lived perfect. To show us what heaven looks like. So that heaven wasn't some vague idea, some notion, some romantic literature that is in the Scripture and something that people go, what is God? Who, what does heaven look like? But Jesus came and walked among us and showed us. First example, this is what heaven is, by the way He lived. He, he said, I'm connecting heaven and earth again. So that one day, all of us, can return on the same path and walk back and have a way, a journey that we walk back to heaven. So that all of those, sorry, that foot is going somewhere wrong. Okay. So that all of us can one day, as Jesus walked to us, the idea is that one day we can walk back. And if you read on in Thessalonians, Paul talks about this journey that one day Christ will return and we will all go to be with Him. So the, these two journeys. Now, you'll notice that both these journeys go through this place called earth, here where we are, in our fallen state, being lost. So Jesus comes from heaven to earth and so that one day we can go from earth back to heaven. But this bit is what we want to focus on a little bit. Sometimes when people say, I am of the earth, but not in, I, what I hear people saying is, I'm going through some temporary earth experience, and it's not nice, and I don't, you know, it's got many challenges to it, and it's tough, and there's sin, and there's temptation, and there's sickness, and there's all these terrible things, but I have to endure it because I am I, I'm in this earth. I'm in this planet, and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just here now, and I have to just keep going and stand strong so that one day I will go back to where I'm from so to that I can go back to heaven. And thank you, Jesus, for making it possible that one day I can leave all of this behind, and then I can go to heaven. Now, that's not quite, I think, what Jesus had in mind when He came and journeyed with us. Let me, let me tell you why I think that. If we read John 17 together, for instance. Remember John 17 was the high priestly prayer that Christ prayed on the mountain of transfiguration with Elijah and Moses. And he prayed these, pray, these words from verse 13 to 21. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they will be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. So we're not of this world. I'm not asking you to make, take them out of the world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I, and I am in you, and may they all be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Can you hear the missionary language of Jesus? He says, Father, you have sent me and I have come into this world, this journey. 
so that heaven and earth can be reunited, so that earth can be restored, so that the world can be restored back into the plan that God had for it. And then Jesus says, but as you have sent me into the world, I now send them into the world. So our journey isn't just this. There's actually a very important part of our journey, like it was for Christ, that is about how we live in this world. Our time spent here in this world. And if I go, keep going, it goes round and round and round and round. We spend time. I've got two right feet. So something happened. I don't know. Something somewhere. So Jesus came, and then he spent roughly 33 years here in the world. And he says, Father, as you sent me into this world, isn't it great that when Jesus came to the world, he didn't do this journey and then sort of just come here and stop here and now stand a little bit outside of the world, perhaps hovering above the earth, and speak to us and tell us, hey, guys, Oi, look up at me. Hey, here I am. There's heaven for you. If you want heaven, just follow me. Sort of stayed above it all. No, what did Jesus do? He came into the world. So much so that he experienced the worst pain and suffering of this world. Was beaten by those he created. He gave them the right to beat him, to crucify him, to hang him on a cross. He came into this world. To save the world, he couldn't stand outside of the world. He had to come into the world. And Jesus now says to you, here he prays, and you can put your name here because he's praying for you. He said, I'm praying for all of those that are to come. He prays, Father, as you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. So our journey here, this journey of our time here on earth, is of huge significance in this total story. This is not some temporary condition that we have to endure. This is very vital to our whole story and to the whole gospel narrative, to the whole kingdom. This is very important. You are not of this world. And you are not just merely in this world. You have been sent into this world, each of us. So Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he has this understanding. He's not writing to a community of people that he says, just hang on, guys. Jesus is coming soon. Because if you read the next chapters, he's actually talking to them about how do you stay in the world? How do you remain until Jesus comes? There is going to come a day, praise God, when Jesus will come on the clouds and he will, the trumpet will sound and suddenly and unexpectedly and very publicly, he will wrap up the whole earth into, into heaven and everything will be restored. And the earth and its fallen state and condition will come to an end and everything will be the way God wants it to be. But until that day, this is very important. This part of our story. So Paul writes to the Thessalonians, 
and he instructs them about how to do this journey well. For their own sake, but not only for their sake, but because of the sake of the world, for the sake of their city, for the sake of their neighbors, their family, their community, their friends at work. He says, we all need to do this well. And that's why Jesus prayed with us. He said, Lord, that I will be with them. This is where Jesus' focus is with you and me right now. Jesus' focus for this time is not on us in heaven. His focus is on us on earth, here. Now, the difference is I am not of this world. Why am I not of this world? Not only because I've been created from, a, from heaven, but now heaven has come in my heart. I am now, heaven is alive inside of me already. My eternal life has already begun. My eternal life doesn't begin the day I die. My eternal life has already begun. I'm eternally in Christ. And Christ is in me, and I am in Him. So that's already going on right here. So I'm already living heaven here. And that's the key. Every day I live, and I allow heaven to influence the earth. And that's my mission. That's my job. And for me to be able to do that job, I have to be excellent in certain things. And if you read Thessalonians, if I, if I now go to Thessalonians, on two occasions, Paul uses what in our English Bible, in the New American Standard, is translated that you will excel still more. On two occasions in, in this portion in chapter 4. He says there's two things we have to excel at. If we're going to do this well, if we're going to follow this way, this path, there's two things we have to excel in. The first one he mentions in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, just as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God. Just as how you ought to walk and please God. I have given you instruction, he says. So the first instruction he gives is this, that you please God. Then he says, that you excel still more. When he uses those words, that you excel still more, he's putting in bold, in italic, with little red arrows pointing. He says, you have to be good at this. What is it that you have to be good at? Love God. Please God. Then in verse 10, he says it again. In verse 10 we read, For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are all in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. He's talking then in verse 9 and 10, he talks about excelling in loving people. Didn't Jesus say the whole of the law can be summed up in these two things? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, if you want to, or Paul writes to the Thessalonians, sorry. He says, if you want to do this journey well, if you want to do this part well, you have to excel in your love for God and in your love for people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have to excel in both of those. You have to be, and the, the picture that he actually speaks of is you have to be perfect in loving God and loving people. Then you will do this well. You will walk this well. That's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to live on those two dimensions. Loving God and loving people. And I think it's 
very hard for us as people to keep those two things together. In fact, it's impossible. It's only by the Holy Spirit. It's only by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives that it becomes possible for us to do those two things. Let me illustrate it to you as follows. If I draw a, 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 gra- a, a graphic, I think it'll come on the screen, that one, and you'll see there's a vertical axis and a horizontal axis, and uh, both of them has sort of can go either way. If I draw the horizontal axis, that is to love man, to love people, to have a love for people. If you go to the right-hand side there where it says love for people, that's the high end. That's the excellent end. That's really doing well at loving people. The left-hand side is to fail. It's the low end. It's to not love people. If I go to the vertical axis, that's the love for God. So on the top is a high love for God. It is to really love God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The bottom is if I fail, if I don't love God, I'm disinterested in God. Perhaps I don't even believe God exists. If I take those two axes, if I draw a cross like that, a cross section, it gives me four quadrants of possibilities for my life, how people can live their lives according to these two laws. And I think if we understand this, this becomes a very practical way for us that anything in our lives we can fit into one of those four quadrants. And we can determine, are we living in the excellence of holiness or not? So if you start at the bottom left hand there, that's the the quadrant which is described by having a very low love for God and a very low love for people. You could even say no love for God. And I don't think it's possible to have no love for people, but very low love for people. If that describes your life, Then you would fall, and that's my terminology, so somebody can help me come up with better terminology, but then you live in the sinfulness of selfishness. Your life is just about yourself. Everything is just about how you feel about it, how it impacts you, how you deal with it, what it means to you. That is to live in that selfishness, and, and that's ultimately what sinfulness is about, is you're completely disinterested in loving God and not loving people. Then you're the furthest end away from the two laws that Jesus said. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You're the furthest away from that. Now, fortunately, on this planet, there are not many people that live like that, but you do get some. But I think all of us find ourselves in that quadrant in some places and sometimes before we surrender our life to Jesus. And that's a a challenge for us. Okay, then you go up to the next quadrant. The next quadrant is the quadrant that is defined by having a a great love for God. You love God. You're interested in God. You want to please God. You want to live a life that honors God. But you don't really care about people all that much. You're not really interested in people and loving people. And then you come, forgive me for using this word again. There's better um, terminology But then you become those kind of people that we sometimes talk about, the highly spiritual or religious people that are very sharp on what's God's law and what must I do, what can I do, what can't I do so that I don't offend God, so that I don't do anything that displeases God. But how it impacts people, I don't really care because all my life is about is is pleasing God and loving God. Loving people is not really all that important. If I love God, that's all that matters. Have Have you ever met anybody like that. Sometimes those are the kind of believers, and it's not only Christian people. You find it in other faiths also. Many other faiths become the legalistic people. 
the people that are judgmental, unkind, harsh people, that, that are very clear on this is what God wants, but they're prepared to kill you to keep what God wants. And even in the Christian faith, we have people that operate within that quadrant. If you come to the lower right-hand quadrant, that's the quadrant defined by a low love for, pe- for, for God, but a very high love for people, very interested in people, but not really interested in God, perhaps even thinking God doesn't exist. This is a quadrant in our world that probably right now dominates the most. It's the quadrant in the media, in whether it's entertainment, whether it's the news, whether it's any, this is the quadrant that you hear and get to deal with the most. All of us on a daily basis. If there's a, if there's a quadrant that challenges us the most right now as Christians, it's that quadrant. This is the quadrant that says, God, don't really care. I could be an atheist. God doesn't exist. I could be agnostic. God exists, but he's disinterested. He doesn't really care. I don't really care about God. This is the pluralist society secular society that we live in, but we want people to be treated just and fair and right. So human rights become very important. This group of people believes that you can have morality without God. You don't need religion to define morality for you. You don't need objective law to define morality for you. Morality is whatever we decide. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in its full swing. We can have good without God. And, and if we just give enough laws, if we just give enough education, enough law, enough um, finances, resources, if we just do, you know, spread money well enough, then we'll have a perfect society. And that's the world we live in. So I call it the social moralists. And right now, everywhere you'll hear this going on. People are, you know, whatever the the thing of the day is that becomes the most evil according to society. They, they will f- put laws around it and, and, you know, to try and protect and keep things right, but without God. But for us as Christians, there's only one quadrant we can and should live in, and that's in the one that is defined by a high, life, high love for God and a high love for people. That is what Paul describes as the excellence of holiness. Holiness is not merely loving God. It's also loving people. That's why Jesus said these are the two laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And those become challenging. So Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he says, holiness is not withdrawing from the world, but participating in the world in a different way with a different motivation and a different outcome. You see, Jesus has made this journey, and now He's become my Savior, and I love Him, and I thank Him for what He's done. He saved me from my own sin, and now I start living with that heavenly reality in my heart, and what is called discipleship begins with me as I journey on this earth. And the Spirit of God works in me through the Word, through the Spirit, through the community of faith. The Spirit works in me, and God is getting more and more of heaven into me and getting more and more of the brokenness of this earth out of me. And as I journey on this earth, He's reshaping and changing me so that through me, that can be shared with others. 
like Jesus, needed to come and come to earth and say to us, listen, guys, there is a heaven. Look at me. When people said, where's the Father there? He said, look at me and you will see the Father. So Jesus says to us, now you need to do that in this world so that the world can look at you and see the Father. Can see what does it mean to love? But it's only possible for us to become good representatives of who God is, is when we live in the excellence of holiness or in excellence of holiness. And that happens because we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, I can tell you this with all honesty, and I think you'll agree with me. Sometimes it's much easier to love God than it is to love these other scoundrels that share the planet with me. Hey? Especially on the roads of Gauteng. At work, is it challenging for you sometimes to love God and to love somebody else? Because we have truth, and we walk on in this, in this planet, and we see people do things that we know absolutely hurts God, and that God hates it when people does that. He, he, he frowns upon it, and he, he's like really angry with so much of the stuff that goes on in this earth. And, and sometimes I'm right in the midst of it, and I see people do it, and, and, and there's this anger that wants to build up in me, and I just want to reject this world, and I just want to push it away from myself and have nothing to do with it. And if I can just separate myself from this world and just be in God, just, you know, if I can just come to church all the time and just be with my Christian brothers and sisters, just be... I can live life. And for some people, they will say, man, I can live life if I can just love people but forget about God. That's too difficult. But you and I, we stand there and we say, I've got to love God and I've got to love these people like Jesus did. Isn't it amazing how Jesus got that right? He perfectly pleased every one of his father's laws and every expectation of the father he kept, yet he showed love to every person. Think of the prostitute brought before him, thrown at his feet. In that moment, Jesus found a way to fulfill the standards of the law, to fulfill and hold up the principles of the scripture, and to touch her and to show her kindness and grace. Think of Jesus with the woman at the well. Think of Jesus hanging between two robbers. And the one turns to him and, and Jesus shows him compassion. Isn't it amazing how Jesus can do that? Not loving God 50% and loving the world 50%, some compromise so that it's possible, but loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself with everything that you have. Man, I don't know about you, but that challenges me deeply. In fact, so much so that I know without God and without the Holy Spirit doing that journey with me, it's impossible to do that. I tend to go one way or the other. Sometimes my love for people overcomes my love for God. And I, and I just want to be kind and I just want to be gentle and I just want to, you know, just, oh, I don't want to upset anybody. I just want to, I want everybody to feel good and feel comfortable and, you know. 
And then there's times when my love for God becomes so, you know, that, that I become but zealous and, you know, like John and, and James, I just want to call on lightning bolts on everybody, you know. But you can't do either. It's both. That's the excellence of holiness. So Paul writes in this book of Thessalonians, and he takes, for instance, our sexuality, and he talks about our sexuality. Let me just find that scripture here quickly. Oh, sorry, it's on this side. In verse 3 to 5, he writes the following. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, sanctification is this journey. That's the sanctification. Becoming more and more like Jesus every day. That's sanctification. In this world. Not outside of the world, in the world. Facing every temptation, facing every struggle, but yet becoming more like Jesus. That's sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now let's take our sexuality. And if you can put my four quadrants back on, please, guys. And let's take our sexuality and apply it to those four quadrants. How do you love God with your sexuality? With your need for intimacy, with your sexual desires? How do you love God? You've got four options. You can keep God out of it and fall into the sinfulness of selfishness. Then your sexuality becomes a biological drive that whatever you want to do that makes that you know, that makes you feel good, it's fine to do that. So just do whatever you want sexually, it's fine. Because God doesn't care, and it's, it's just physical, it's just biological, it doesn't impact anybody, so just do what you want. Or you can fit in the quadrant of your highly spiritual. Then your sexuality almost becomes the unmentionable. It's something that we keep out of God's, you know, we don't talk, to this, this, is, this is earthly stuff. God is holy and pure, and my sexuality has nothing to do with Him. And it's like, you know, we don't talk about it in church. We don't talk about it anywhere. It's like, we, when we talk about sex, we whisper. It's like, we have to talk about it because it's sort of part of this world experience. So we have to deal with it. Or you could be in that bottom quadrant, social moralist. Then sexuality becomes again. God's not, there's nothing sacred about it. It's not holy. It's not something that is part of how God made you and it's beautiful. It's just biology. But we do recognize that it has impact on people socially, morally. We do recognize that, you know, rape is not right and, and molestation is not right. And, and we do recognize that there should be some laws around it and protection and diseases. But let's find laws that, that, that keeps us as men safe, but we don't really care about how God feels about it. So my sexuality is my own, and as long as I express it in a way that is responsible and in a way that doesn't infringe on the rights of anybody else, then I can do what I want. But you see, we as Christians don't live in that world. We live in that top right quadrant where our sexuality is given to us by God, and it's a holy and sacred thing. For the marriage bed is holy. And we live in a world where 
It's a way we interact with other people, so we have to do it in a way that loves, not just doesn't hurt, but loves, gives value, gives respect, gives honor, builds up other people. So how do I live in the excellence of holiness with my sexuality? First of all, I have to understand that everything about my sexuality has everything to do with God. Every thought, every intent, every action, God is interested in it because it's holy, it's pure. So that's why we are different than the rest of the world. We don't judge sexuality merely on the moral, you know, does it hurt anybody? We cannot do that, people. We cannot as Christians make that our lowest issue in terms of how we express our sexuality. Remember, these Thessalonians came from a community and a place where sexuality was part of their worship. It was all over the streets. When you dig up the cities, the amazing pornography that they had right everywhere in their cities. Because their sexuality was, they could worship, it was. Now Paul speaks to these people and he says, you've got to behave differently. You've got to be different than your society in your sanctification. God has to let heaven come in your life sexually. So abstain from sexual immorality. Stay away from it. God puts loving limits and boundaries around our sexuality in a broken world particularly because we've got to remember this world is broken. So my sexuality, I bring to God and I say, Lord, how do I worship and honor you with my sexuality? And it begins with, how do I love and respect others? How do I walk and carry my way in this world? that doesn't break down or take away from somebody else, but builds them up, that doesn't objectify, doesn't belittle, doesn't degrade, but builds up. And that's only possible because, first of all, Jesus comes and He redeems my sexuality. Because I'm broken. I have found ways, because of this world that I live in, in my own brokenness, I express my sexuality in ways that's not right. And I'm not just talking about sleeping with somebody. I'm talking about just the way I speak to people, just the way I walk. All of that can become confusing. And then the people of the world look at us and they say, but you're the same as us. Because there's not the excellence of holiness. But as I journey with God, and He reveals to me more and more His plans and His purposes, and He shows me, what people of the opposite sex is all about, and he shows me beauty, and he shows me his perspective and his value that he gives, then I go, wow. And there's a respect and an honor. And then I start behaving differently. So we've made mistakes, and God can redeem all of that. But that's our journey. Now you can take that with your sexuality. Paul also applies it with work. If you go to verse 11 and 12. I'm going to come to an end. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. Just as we instructed you before, then people who are not Christians will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. So take your work, your having to feed yourself, having to get an income and apply it to those four quadrants. How do we work in the excellence of holiness? Again, we recognize that money is holy and sacred because it's part of what God has given us, and we use it to worship and honor Him first. 
So my money is not about my needs, it's about God, and then my needs, and how do I love and show love to other people through my money, and through my work, and through the way I behave in my workplace. Therefore, Paul says, for us as Christians, we can live quiet lives. And it's interesting, the word in the Greek is almost boring, mundane lives. We don't need to spend lots of money and have lots of parties and be all over the place and live these extravagant, expensive, opulent lives. We don't have to do that. We can live quiet lives because our joy is not found in the things of this world. It's not wrong to enjoy the things of this world, but the things of this world will not give us the joy. So every way we interact, you can apply that. Are you selfish? Are you a moralist? Are you highly spiritual? Or do you live in that tension between love of God and love of… And when I use the word tension, don't you compromise because Jesus never compromised. He allowed the Spirit of God by grace, and that grace is available to you and me, that tomorrow when you're in the workplace or with your family, you can love God and love people, even those that persecute you. I'll take the applause. Thank you. Come on. Even those that persecute you, even those that stand against you, even those that frustrate you, even those that break every law of the Scripture and is, that rails against God and that is so in that quadrant of self, we can love them because God loved us first. I'm not of this world. I'm in this world. But more than that, I have been sent into this world. Because the Spirit of God and the Word of God that is within me, God said of His Word in Isaiah 55, your Word will never return to you empty. The Word that is within me here will accomplish that for which it was sent. And I live my life here. And I love God. And as I love God and as I worship God and I spend time in His Word and His Spirit and in the community of faith, He works in me. And beautiful things happen. And the kingdom of God grows and becomes a little bit more visible. And the salt is spread and it keeps away the rot of this world. And the light shines. But it's because of each of us on our own doing our journey and together as a community we're journeying this. That's the beauty of God. That's the beauty of God. And each of us can have that. I wonder if you will stand with me. If we're honest with one another this morning, we all fail at both, don't we? We fail in our love for God and we fail in our love for people. Well, I'm ready to admit that I do. Any of you ready to admit with me? Come on, we all do. But thank you for the grace of God. And He does in us what we would never think is possible. So let's just present ourselves to our Father this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when we were sinners rebellious. You didn't leave us alone. You pursued us. You came and you'd made this journey from earth, or from heaven to earth. You came and dwelt among us, and you lived and you pleased the Father. You loved the Father, and you loved us. You loved us so much that you died for us, that you allowed us 
to exact all the violence of this earth on you. You loved us. And thank you, Lord, that that not only saves us, but it empowers us, Lord. And I pray for each of us right now. I pray, Lord, that there would be in us, as disciples of the Lord Jesus, a growing love for God, an increase in the love of God in our lives. That whether it's our sexuality, our work life, our family, any part of our lives, we would bring to love you with it, Lord. Everything has everything to do with you, Lord. But also in our love for people, we give you that today also, Lord. Father, forgive us for where we give up on people. Where we, where we so quickly step away, where we so quickly reject, judge, discard, cut off. Forgive us, Lord. Let us be like Jesus. Extend the hand. Put an arm around without compromising on our love for you. I pray that for each of us. Enlarge our hearts. Give us the generosity of spirit, Lord. I just pray for every person in this venue today. Those that are joining us on YouTube or on the radio. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Let us be excellent in our holiness, Lord. Let us excel even more in the holiness of Christ. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer this morning, if you want prayer this morning, please come to the front. There's baptism also after the service. Tonight we're going to have a great time. I'll share a short gospel message. So we're going to trust God for salvations this evening, for people to come to Christ. And we're just going to have a good time. So see you this evening. Bless you. Have a wonderful day.